0: Welcome, everybody, to The Real Forno Show. I'm your host, Tyler Fornes, and we are going a couple hours earlier here moving forward to, one, accommodate my schedule, and two, to accommodate yours because Monday night football starts at 7.15 Central Standard Time. We want to make sure that you don't miss a play, especially next week when the Vikings head to Philadelphia to face off against the Philadelphia Eagles. Tonight, we're going to be talking about a landmark day in Vikings history, the first game of the Kevin O'Connell and Kwesi mensa area, which had a lot of interesting takeaways. We're going to talk about those. We're going to talk about how this can potentially be uh, kept going moving forward and what happens when teams start to figure out what the Vikings are doing and how they can counter it. All that and more on tonight's The Real Forno Show.
1: Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Writer at NBC Sports Edge. Contributor at usa today's vikings wire sports illustrated's all seahawks and founder of substack run and shooter as well as a member of climbing the bucket
0: welcome 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 ladies and gentlemen i have my cute little co-pilot right next to me the beautiful Odie, and i will you know what I will move the camera just for everybody. There he is. Oh, he popped up. What a nice little boy. What a good boy. Oh, he's a very good boy, Dave. Now I get to figure out this portion. (laughs) Moving the camera back, which is... With mine, it's never the easiest thing, but welcome. We are going to be going early, like I said in the intro. Every single week to make sure that we accommodate for Monday Night Football. And, uh, got messed up. There we are. Ah, ah, whatever. It's a little off kilter. Who cares that <laughs> much? Anyways, welcome. This is going to be a, le- ah, it's driving me bonkers already, Dave.
1: Okay. There's nothing I can welcome. do with the tilt. Sorry.
0: <laughs> welcome to the Real Forno Show. I am Tyler Fornis and Dave. What a great day yesterday was. It was oh, truly it, remarkable how great yesterday was for the Minnesota Vikings franchise.
1: Oh, it was. And Victory Monday was fantastic too because all of us know uh, that a few friends that are Packers fans and rubbing it into them today was absolutely fantastic.
0: Oh, let me tell you, it was wonderful. I, I have already whipped up about... 25 posts related to the game for the Vikings wire over the course of the last two days. It has been fun to be a Vikings fan, and we're going to talk about it. And I want to start with that first drive, Dave, and we're just going to kind of go through the motions of this game. That first drive was truly impressive stuff for the Minnesota Vikings. They came out swinging, and I don't know if you noticed it, but there was a different confidence and swagger about this Minnesota Vikings team. They were feeling it, to say the least. Kirk was doing a fantastic job, um, feeling confident, maneuvering the pocket, making good decisions. Um, Philip, it's way too early for that, and I'll get to that in a little bit. No, it's not,
1: Philip. It's over. They're done.
0: (laughs) Everybody was just playing on a different level, and it was great to see. Now, the ultimate test in the game of football is when you get punched in the mouth. How do you counter it? Does this go away? Do the negative thoughts start to creep in in this era of, hey, we're going to change the culture and we're going to do things the right way. How does that change? I do uh, players see things differently at that point? Like There are going to be a lot of questions about that if and when that happens. But for now, we're riding high. We're having a great time. And the first play I want to talk about is that touchdown pass, Dave that first touchdown pass to Justin Jefferson, we've seen the Packers one run routes like that consistently with Devontae Adams over the years. Hell, the Vikings ran a similar route with Stefan Diggs against the Packers in 2018 to tie the game at Lambeau Field. Now, if you remember, that was the tie. And they had Diggs uh, on the left side, go in motion all the way to the tight end on the right, and then sprint back, catch a little flat route for a touchdown. It was awesome. And Jefferson just uses a jet motion, gets wide open, easy money. That got, That's the kind of stuff that you're going to see. You're going to see Kevin O'Connell scheme the layups, and then they're going to take shots down the field. There were a few times where they took shot plays, and you can go ahead and uh, go to Luke Braun's Twitter, the host of Lockdown Vikings. He already has a few clips up. I haven't been able to get the All-22 as of this point, but I'm working on it. And... He's got a few clips up showing that Kirk made the right decision by not being aggressive down the field. And that was something that I was going to track all season. How aggressive is Kirk? Is he being smart or is he being a coward? Because there's different levels to aggressive. There's being aggressive to be aggressive. And then there's being aggressive with a calculated mindset. And that's what we want Kirk to be. Calculated and aggressive. Too often we see him check it down when he does not have to. And we're going to keep tabs on that all season long because we need Kirk to be a, just a, a teeny bit, just a teeny bit more aggressive. If he can do that, things can really change for this Minnesota Vikings franchise.
1: Well, let's see after the first four or five games if Kirk is keeping up with his play or getting even better over the next month and a half, two months. And then. I will do my Maya you'll do your Maya Copa, and we'll say, Hey, this is the right system. He has he has taken that step as mm-hmm. a thirty-four-year-old quarterback, and he is improving. I do think what we saw yesterday was that improvement on that nice, beautiful sixty-two yard uh play to Justin Jefferson, where Jefferson was wide open thanks to the scheming. Thank you, Kevin O'Connell. Um, where he climbed the pocket. Brand mm-hmm. here. He climbed a pocket and he launched it. We hadn't seen Kirk do that much in the past. Normally he would have sat in the pocket, taken the sack, or done the, you know, the two yard check down to CJ Ham.
0: Yeah, 100 percent And it was it wasn't just that he maneuvered the pocket well. Um, He maneuvered the pocket well and was incredibly confident going down the field. He was maneuvering not to save his life, but to attack. And that's, that's the difference. Everybody moves in the pocket. Some move to save their own ass, to make sure that they don't get destroyed by the defense. Some move to destroy the defense down the field. And that's something that you see with the greats. You see it with Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, that Rogers are
1: magnificent
0: with it. They're always looking to attack down the field. Kirk Cousins has not always done that. (laughs) He's always wanted things to be perfect, and that's dated back decades. Jay Gruden made a big point of it in Washington, talking about Kirk needs to stop worrying about things being so perfect. You're gonna throw picks, you're a quarterback. That's the way it is. You have to understand and anticipate and make calculated aggressive choices down the field. In this game, he was a little more apt to do that. I am skeptical that it is going to continue. But I really liked what I saw. And that first half was as good as you could have drawn it up.
1: Hey, it's week one. we got to overreact. That's the whole rules about week one.
0: Yeah, well, we'll overreact. But at the same time, Dave, that's not what I'm about. And you know that. I am about trying to... Project, I very well, know and that. being as absolute honest as possible, and then I've got this beautiful puppy staring right at me with those sad eyes. Like, why do I have to be in this chair? Well, because you'll eat every cord in my room, and I haven't trusted you enough in in this room yet. I'm achieving. Oh no, he's he's sleepy. Um, I'm hoping that he'll just sleep, but he keeps popping up because I'm talking, aren't you, buddy?
1: Yeah, uh, but Mary's talking about cousins and leadership. Cousins' mm-hmm. actions in the post game in the locker room is something we have not seen from him before.
0: So, so. let's talk about this, Dave, because I, it's twofold. One, he went up to the Wilfs and wanted to present game balls to Quasi, Dolph and Kevin O'Connell. Wonderful stuff. Awesome. But at the same time, I, w- I want to point out what was said by a friend at Scorner, Phil Mackey. Now, Mackey is a very, very smart guy. And he also knows how to drop interest and utilize that for his show. That's one of the things that makes him as brilliant as he is. So he mentions on Twitter that during his speech, Cousins only says we will only go as far as they take us. They meaning Kevin O'Connell and Quasi Adolfo Mensa, <laughs> Not talking about himself. And I think that's a very interesting point. Because he could have said... As far as we will take it, that that method of inclusion, which is something that the brass has been very open about. Odie, you settle down. You're okay, buddy. And he did not say it himself. He did not include himself in that. And I found that to be very peculiar because while we have been very critical about Kirk Cousins on this show, and it has been rightfully earned, he also took a step in leadership, but he showed some of his old self by not explicitly saying himself that he's trying to deflect all the potential blame onto other people by trying to give them the potential credit. It feels like a very calculated move in a very kind gesture that he was trying to do by giving game balls to O'Connell and o- Adolfo Mensa.
1: I agree that but that's Kirk Cousins to a T. We both know it. We both talked about it for years now. Um, It should be, but let's see if he takes that step up. Right now, he's at least positive. He's at least making moves that a leader would make. And I appreciate that. I do think, you know, everything's a work in progress your whole career. So if he improves even that little bit, that bumps us up from, you know, Clay on or Crayon playbook kick click kubiak last year to a more advanced offense this year, and maybe that is enough to take the NFC.
0: Yeah, it very much could be. I want to respond to Dave's comment. Um and or sorry, Dave uh Raymond's comment because it's it's very multifaceted. Dave, would you throw it back up, please? Because there's a lot of talking points here and Raymond, great listener of the program. We greatly appreciate you. And you always have insightful comments. And that's why I want to take the time to really go over this. He did better. And I think that's a that's a very fair, and it's it's not it's not an unreasonable take. I think we will both agree that he did better. Mm-hmm. And he showed a lot. Now let's talk about the other points. Um also, Tyler, you honestly believe the head coach let him not be aggressive? <sighs> I, I, I don't think I'm saying that at all. He was very calculated. He was trying to be very smart. They tried to be aggressive. It wasn't there. And when I kind of reference that, when you go to Luke's Twitter account and he, he has those clips posted, you'll see that they tried to be more aggressive. They just weren't successful. And sometimes that's okay. You try. It's not there. You don't always have to take it. If it's kind of there, sometimes you should take it. But in these instances, they weren't there and it was blatantly the correct decision to not throw it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a real mixed bag. O'Connell wants to be aggressive but there are also levels to it. He's not going to look at Kirk and be like, why didn't you throw that? Well, it wasn't open because of this, this, and this. He's like, no, you should have thrown it anyways. That's not what he's trying to do. He's trying to build an offense that is going to be calculated and aggressive in a very smart and intelligent way. And the third part, look, is it BS? I don't think it's complete BS. I think it's it's definitely to, you know, draw buzz and draw eyeballs and g- uh, generate discussion. But it's also Kirk Cousins. He hasn't shown a ton of leadership. I think that it's it's a fair talking point when you're talking about a guy who's a fifth-year captain who's now showing his first outward sh- signs of leadership. Like, we, that's a very fair talking point. That's why we're talking about it within the context of the great leadership that he did show. It it all goes together, and and here on this show we want a Super Bowl, we want the Vikings to win
1: before I die.
0: Kirk Cousins, yeah, Kirk Cousins is going to be a big part of that, right? Odie, Odie's in my lap now. He's a good boy.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I want to address G back. It's the first game. Give him a little leeway. Yes. Mm GMAC, it is the first game, and we saw improvement over what we've seen in the last four years. That should warm your heart. It warms mine, and you know my opinion on Kirk Cousins. It should warm your heart. I hope he excels above and beyond what he has ever done yet. I think yesterday was a great step in that uh, trajectory. I do hope that he invests himself, unlike his comment, uh, will go where they take us type stuff. I hope he takes more of that ownership, and uh, uh, Raymond can attest to that. A true leader is going to take ownership on what his people below him do and go Mm -hmm. even further, and that, like I said before, takes us all, all the way to win the NFC.
0: Yeah, 100%. It's, this is all part of the equation. There is nothing that should not be looked at uh, from the perspective of trying to win the Minnesota Vikings a Super Bowl. And I think that it's, it's going to be an interesting discussion here moving forward. I like the steps that we took. Now let's talk about uh, how to maintain it. Because this was the first game. And as g said, you're going to give them a little leeway. Absolutely. Here, here's what they had, and it's a very complicated answer because they had the element of surprise because the Vikings basically showed 10% of jack shit in the preseason. It was all basic core concepts. Nothing crazy, n- no real motion, no trying to implement uh, game plans. Um, it's it's an interesting one because, because they had that element of surprise, even though everybody knows the... The McVeigh scheme. Everybody knows the wide zone, but the wrinkles that O'Connell wanted to throw in in this game, there is no tape to really go look back and be like, "Hey, this is um, O'Connell's offense, and this is what he's going to do in this situation." The there, there was nothing, kind of, and and, yeah, and both, both teams were a mystery about it.
1: And both teams were a little rusty, but for what we saw, and Week One is generally sloppy football across the board. Pick any team in the NFL, and sloppy. Um, what we saw was less sloppy and less rusty than what the Packers put on the field. Now, are, did the Packers, were there issues because of who they have playing, be it the receivers, be it on defense or whomever? And um, does that contribute to it? Maybe. But a lot of it is also they're not fully in sync either. And as we know, last year in week one, they got their butts whooped by New Orleans. And that didn't mean squat because they still won 13 games and won a division. Mm-hmm. I think yesterday was a little bit different, but we came out on top, we dominated. Uh, Air dominance, we'll get into Justin Jefferson. Mm -hmm. Part of that is Kirk Cousins. And I think we set the floor. And from there, we do nothing but go up. And I think that's the difference this season, is the floor is set higher right now, and I think we will do nothing but improve on that.
0: Yes, 100%. I am very excited to see where this goes. Let's talk about G-Max comment here. One big thing I took away is how Rodgers really saw a downfield receiver. Partly pass rush, partly scheme confusion, but and then I, um, maybe the DBs are better than we thought. I think, and so, I'm going to relate this to professional wrestling. So I was in, I was in the building for AEW's All-All Pay-Per-View last weekend, and there was a match in the middle of the show. It was the acclaimed versus Swerve in Our Glory for the tag team titles. Now, if you don't follow AEW, that probably doesn't mean anything to you. The acclaimed is, was a lower-card act that turned into a mid-card act. And now they're the most popular group on the show because one of their wrestlers' name is Anthony Bowens. He's a gay man. And then there's Billy Gunn, who used to be known as Mr. Ass. Um, and he uh, Bowens goes, at the end of their little intro, goes, scissor me daddy and then... They just go like this, and it just gets the loudest reactions at any crowd. Like It doesn't make any sense. It's incredibly stupid, and it just works. But during that match, people got so excited for them to potentially win the belts, and there were multiple close finishes, and then they lost, and then the air just deflated out of the building, and they never got it back. The crowd just died. I, I tell that story because... Once Aaron Rodgers threw that first pass and Christian Watson dropped it, the game was over, and for them, the everything deflated. It was done. Like you could tell, Rodgers it, he was just shot. I don't even think it was necessarily that he like threw, he wasn't trusting his
1: receivers. He didn't throw to them. No, after that, he threw to the running, running. backs and tight ends. But what they had does to be open that? By like four yards. What does that? Watson drop remind you of
0: I don't want to talk about Troy Williamson, Dave I really don't (laughs) Um, but look I I love Christian Watson coming out he does have a higher rate of drops than normal but he also does not have a lot of targets he needs to spend more time with the judge machine he needs to spend more time in practice catching the football I think that will be be mitigated enough to where it's not a a long-term concern but that team, man, they were they. The wind was out of their sails. If the game was over,
1: mm-hmm. um, there was football drills. My coaches had us do as it, when I played tight end. Catching the football was obviously a big part of that game. Blocking was more important, but catching was a big part. Mm-hmm. Watson needs to do some of those drills and not have a football in his hand or not not have a football in his hand, you know, almost all the time. He needs to be handling that so he gets to where he can do this, watch it into his hands, and then. But just as long as he's not playing the Vikings or any other NFC team, I'm cool with him dropping footballs.
0: Yeah, uh, I totally feel that 100%, Dave. It was great that he dropped it against us. And that we didn't have to see him drop it for us. Um, Now let's kind of move on to the best receiver in the national football league. And that's Justin Jefferson. My God, Dave, it, it was next level stuff. What Justin Jefferson did for the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday, he was playing out of his mind. Wasn't he Odie? Yep. He was playing out of his mind. Odie just yawned in agreement. What what a (laughs) good boy.
1: He set Uh, records for the Vikings yesterday.
0: Yeah, he did. Uh, He was the fifth fastest to ever get to um, 200 catches, tied with Anquan Bolden and A.J. Green in 34 games. And he has the second most 150-plus receiving yard games for anybody age 23 or younger. The only one with more is Randy Moss with six. Um,
1: But he had 158 in the first half. And not even Randy Moss or anybody in Vikings history had done that yep. before.
0: Absolutely. Um, and I thought it was really cool how they tried to utilize him. There is a clip that I found, and <laughs> I saw it live, and I just started laughing. They got him lined up on edge rusher Preston Smith. Just an easy five-yard completion. But mm-hmm. they're going to get those matchups. And that's, this is the genius of what Kevin O'Connell brings to the Minnesota Vikings. This is why the Vikings hired him. Not just to build a culture, not just to win football games, to scheme guys like Jefferson open and get him in matchups that are favorable. One of them being against players who should not be guarding him. Edge rushers should not be covering Justin Jefferson on a route. They shouldn't be covering running backs on a route. But he was able to make it happen, and you're going to see that consistently. You saw that last year with Cooper Cup. You're going to see that with Justin Jefferson all season long, and it's going to be awesome to watch.
1: Mm-hmm. It will be. And I love the fact that he was motioned into the backfield, that he lined up in the backfield to confuse the defense. And they're like, oh, my God, who do we you know cover now? Uh, that Kevin O'Connell moved players, Adam Thielen a lot, and it was all so Kirk- could read the defense and read the coverage beforehand. I think it is beautiful. I wish we'd done it in previous years. It is a wonderful thing. I look forward to Kevin, Kevin O'Connell stepping it up even more as the season progresses. Like I said, this is just the floor.
0: It really is. Um, and this is very, very, very exciting. And uh, I want to get to one question that Mary just had and asking about what we thought of the offensive line performance. And I think it was a very interesting performance, Dave. Um, I'm going to kind of give you the floor here to kind of give your initial impressions and then I'm going to go into my thoughts, but I know you love the big round bellies and this is kind I of do, your,
1: was your forte.
0: Yep. Uh, what were your initial impressions um, on first watch?
1: Initial impressions on first watch. Yeah. Uh, my boy Ed Ingram got beat a couple times. He learned from it, however, and locked that down later. But early in the game when he did get beat, I was watching on other plays, when the pocket was coming back, he had his guy locked down and everything was good and golden. Garrett Bradbury looked like Garrett Bradbury, right? And with Ingram, he was going against Gary. He's one of the best interior defensive line guys in the NFL. He was getting his rookie indoctrination. Garrett Bradbury was Garrett Bradbury's like me, right? He did okay run blocking. He did absolute garbage pass blocking. He caused one of the pressures or sacks or multiple of them during a the game. It was not good. But what came out today was when um, PFF put out the grades, you saw an interesting distribution. The left side of the line, when it came to saw and Ezra Cleveland, were superb at pass blocking. Extremely high grades both at pass blocking, and good grades at run blocking too, but extremely high at pass blocking. On the right side, you had Ingram and O'Neill. They were absolutely superb in run blocking. They had Decent grades, even Ingram, with pass blocking, right? And if you are ever going to split, if me as a coach, if I'm setting up an offense, I want my best pass blockers on the left because my quarterback's right-handed, and I want my best run blockers on the right. That's exactly what we saw yesterday, and it was a very good thing. And those guys are rusty. They didn't play much other than Ingram during the preseason. They are going to grow, and that's going to get better. Now they got a heck of a test coming up next Monday night against the Eagles. When they they face more power rushes next week versus the more movement rushes and moves, swim moves and all sorts of stuff this week, they're going to face power next week. But they've got a heck of a test, and it's going to be good to see But overall, that O-line play was very decent. Um, It wasn't, you know, extremely outstanding, but it was above average. And I look forward to that going further. Did you notice anything other than what I just said um, from yesterday's game?
0: I thought my biggest takeaway from the game is Christian Darius. I was inconsistent, but man, the flashes were nasty. (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I thought that uh, he is going to take time. He is he is a work in progress. He's a second-year player. You can trust him on an island as your left tackle, but he's still going to lose every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was really, really nice to see him just absolutely bury guys into the ground. Mm-hmm. His biggest issue coming out of college wasn't run blocking, wasn't pass blocking, wasn't uh, losing an anchor. It was burying guys,
1: mm-hmm.
0: getting those pancakes finishing. And I saw it a couple times, he got he got that nastiness now. He's got that dog in him, Dave. And he was burying defenders into the ground. And I thought that was a really nice addition to his skill set. Did
1: you see the one clip? And I think it was Luke Braun, friend of the show, that posted it. I may be wrong. But it showed, it was one of the past plays and saw had his guy locked up and he was riding him outside. In or not? And Ezra next to him was helping um, Garrett Bradbury on the middle side. And then Ezra saw that Garrett had the guy, turned around, shot towards the guy that uh, Darisaw had, and just knocked him on his tail. If you haven't seen that, I'll look that up and send it to you. It was a thing of beauty. Ezra had a fantastic
0: game yesterday. No, he did, and there were a couple uh, pull blocks where he was just nasty. And mm-hmm. he, it, it's so an interesting you, thing.
1: You put that together with saw on that left side, mm-hmm. and it's going to be fun to watch the next sixteen weeks plus.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be honest, I did not understand taking a Brian O'Neill clone that plays left tackle and moving him side to guard. And that's where you want to play him. Not because you just want your best five. You want to get play him at guard. I will not understand that. I don't understand what they saw in him. I don't understand why this Brian O'Neill clone, who worked out really well for you at right tackle, is all of a sudden now going to be, hey, we're going to put you at guard. But it freaking worked. And he is. It's working. Really, yes. it, He's really taken to the position. And it's very impressive to see how well he's done because he has gotten enough core strength to not just get absolutely lambasted and forklifted. And he's got the athleticism and quickness to really move well in space. And now he's got a little bit of that power where he can just take guys out in the mm-hmm. open field. I like what Ezra Cleveland is doing. I like how he's progressing. And now that we have three of our five offensive line spots solidified, if Ed Ingram can be number four, you get a center next year in free agency, and you just figure out how you're going to pay for it. Then you have five guys that you trust, and that is when you can really take a huge step because Garrett Bradbury ain't it. He just isn't. We've wanted him to be. We've tried to will it into existence. (sighs) He's not he does not have enough sand in the pants he does not have just enough in order to anchor all all a defensive tackle has to do is grab him by the armpits lift him and push him back that's it like it's it's a very tough thing the fact that he well, just hasn't
1: been able to I shouldn't that. say no that isn't quite right That's what happens It's it's a matter of technique he could win if he gets his technique right, but he's never gotten his technique right. That's why I'm hoping, was it the O-line coach Rump Takes him and yeah. teaches him, and he gets better.
0: No, uh, the O-line coach is
1: uh, Cooper. Cooper. That Cooper takes him and teaches him proper technique, and he gets better. That's hard to learn after once you're getting to this level. But once you do... A center, even at his size, just barely over 300, can be successful. But it comes down. hes Because he is smaller, you have to win with technique that goes for any lineman. You can beat somebody that's 100 pounds bigger than you are if you have the proper technique. And hopefully this year that happens. Otherwise, we're going to see Garrett Bradbury walk at the end of the season and rightfully so, he should. Uh, and the Vikings go for somebody new next year.
0: Mm-hmm. Hear me out, Dave. Garrett Bradbury and the Cooper Cup role.
1: hmm
0: Let's do it. No. <laughs> no, we shouldn't do it. Um, next, next thing I kind of want to talk about, Dave, is, is the defense and how awesome it was that, one, this is a bend, don't break defense. Don't get it twisted. This is – They're going to be aggressive in how they pressure the quarterback, but they're going to try and get home with four, and they're going to try and play coverage on the back end. They were able to do that very successfully on Sunday. Four sacks, 18 pressures per PFF, and they were able to get home with those four guys, and they did in a lot of creative ways. They put Zadarius Smith and Daniel Hunter on the inside put them on the outside. They brought in Patrick Jones and DJ Wanham for three edge rushers in formations. They were doing a lot of different things, and they were stunting inside and out, really Mm -hmm. trying to confuse the offensive line and get to the quarterback, and they did a really good job of it. You can't expect this performance every week. If you got a four-sack, 18-pressure performance every single week, you must have four Miles Garretts. Like That's just kind of what you're looking at. It is not the easiest thing in the world to accomplish, and they did it. And they did it with ease. Can they duplicate it? That's going to be the biggest question. I don't know if they can, because they were able to get that accomplished. You got to play seven in coverage. You got to play your quarters, your um, man, man half. Um, you got to play your half quarter quarter. All all those different fun coverages that you like to go behind the palms coverages, but it was all two deep or forty coverage. Keep everything in front of you, and the only one that they got beat was on that slugger route by Christian Watson. It happens. You are going to get beat. First play of the game, you get beat by a rookie on a sluggo. Okay. You you just learn from it and move on. But if you can get to the quarterback, you you can play coverage behind, and then you don't have to be forced to blitz, which means it's going to be harder for the quarterback to throw the football. And the why the Fangio defenses are becoming more and more popular, Dave, it's because they're keeping everything in front. The ta- uh, yes. the Tampa 2 was the popular defense because it was very aggressive and You had those athletic linebackers who were able to just shoot straight back, take out the hole in the middle of the field. Then it kind of transitioned. You had a a lot of the um, Seattle cover three become increasingly popular. Problem was with the cover three, you had to have an elite center fielder. You had to have long corners who can do a lot of different things. Seattle was able to maximize it with how they drafted, but – it, w- it wasn't plausible everywhere else. Then it kind of became like, hey, we're just going to have one deep free safety, and we're going to kind of do some robber, some man coverage. That's still somewhat prevalent in today's game, but the Fangio defense is becoming more and more because it's keeping everything in front of you. The best defenses against Patrick Mahomes play coverage and make him beat you with dink and dunk. I'll let you dink and dunk all the way down the field. Not le- I'm not going to let you beat me because you run around like a maniac and find uh, Travis Kelsey 30 yards down the field because it's backyard football.
1: Well, and uh, the single deep safety, that's more of what Zimmer liked to do. That with the modern offenses now, the way to defeat them is two deep, traditional two deep safety, and then, you know, the quarter coverage and stuff like that, that works better. Zimmer did some things to adjust that. Zimmer's excellent in the blitzes, but it's, we're seeing that now. That's how Donatel sets up and it helps defeat those modern offenses because with two back, the whole responsibility is to get up into the holes. If it's a run play or to cover if it's a wide receiver to pass play. Whereas before we're used to, uh, Harrison Smith coming up and then dropping back if it's a pass play. I think this is going to be better for us. It's better against modern offenses. It's going to work. But you said one thing I want to hit up. How many pressures did the Vikings' defensive have, defense have? 18. 18. Yep. How many pressures did Green Bay have against our offensive line i
0: I'll, I'll be honest i don't remember um i think it was eight um five. i'll pull up pff how many? five only five. five all day okay that so it, it, folks is, it, this is, is a
1: huge improvement over last it, year
0: i don't know if that's true dave i'm gonna keep looking up because i'll tell you this i looked Ed Ingram had five total pressures, and Garrett Bradbury had four. I remember that. Now, I'm wondering— According
1: to—I've got it up right now, pass blocking. One sack, five pressures, two were credited to Brian O'Neill. two were credited to Ed Ingram, and one to Garrett Bradbury. Interesting.
0: Interesting, interesting, interesting. All right. Premium stats. Yeah. um, I got it. Oh, oh, you know what, Dave? I I am. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking.
1: (laughs) Uh, Eve, I would love to see Zim's reaction as well. I do hope he's happy for the success of the Vikings in taking this defense, you know, and making it so it stops Aaron Rodgers, of course. He did it as well. Uh, Kirk Cousins alone is 5-3-1 and one against the against Aaron Rodgers. He set a record. He is the only one that has beat Aaron Rodgers three or four times consecutively now. Um, okay. Raymond, that's off of PFF, their, uh, their elite subscription. I'm looking in depth at their Dave. Minnesota pass blocking.
0: Dave, share your screen because – what I'm seeing is 100% not what you're seeing. I'm seeing Ingram with five, Bradbury with four, O'Neill with three, Darisau with three, Cleveland with two, Ben Ellison with one. Oh. And that's just total pressures. If you're just talking well, about true
1: pass. I'm tests, looking at true pass pressures is what I was looking at. If you had true I'm pass. I'm showing pass eight test, pressures 11, allowed total pressures.
0: There was 11 total pressures allowed. Um, in true pass sets, all five of Ed Ingrams are in true pass sets. He had a 2.3 pass blocking grade out of true pass sets. That's got to be fixed, but it's also week one of his rookie season. It is not time to hit the panic button yet. So I'm very intrigued to why you and I have two different metrics. But I also know that I had issues. I had issues loading PFF, Dave. Um, did that say? Last, last year or sorry, uh, like the last few weeks? Uh-huh. Um, and Like I couldn't load like all the defensive grades. It was the weirdest freaking thing. I don't know what it was. I asked people. Like I had people screen grab it for me. Here, I just sent it to your Twitter DM so you can see exactly what I'm seeing because I just this is what I'm
1: seeing right here. Let me get it.
0: I love. Oh, we are just having a nice little. Alright, so it's it says here, all right, yeah, there's eighteen pressures. What there what number you are you looking at?
1: I was looking over at I guess I was looking over at hits. I was reading it wrong. Never mind. Okay. What?
0: Let, let it just um let it let it be known, and I know Mary will remember this forever, that I was right. I I just want to say that Dave I, makes I'm mistakes.
1: Especially I after drinking whiskey.
0: right. I don't get to be right often, and I get—I like to enjoy it when I am, and this is going to be one of those moments. In the meantime, um, the Vikings' pass rush needs to continue to get home. If they don't, that is going to be a big issue for the Minnesota Vikings. They need to get home. Um, and somebody mentioned in the chat, we'll transition it. Raymond, Maggie said today Cousins' pass pressure rate was 41%. Let's talk about how well he did under pressure. Because he did really, really well under pressure. Um, I mean, yeah, when he was under pressure, a pass, uh, an overall grade of 84.6, a passing grade of 82.6. Now, if you remember, last year, Kirk Cousins was in the 50s in that metric. Mm-hmm. Cousins looked more comfortable. He looked more confident. And I think he was more confident because of what he had in front of him. And he knew that uh, Darisaw was better, O'Neal was going to be a stalwart, and Cleveland was better. And then he believed in Ned Ingram, and he knew he could maneuver around Bradbury's mistakes. And that's what it felt like. He, was, he knew what was coming. He knew where the pressure was going to be, and he's compensated for it.
1: I saw him uh, under- step left and right yesterday when pass pressure was coming up. That we hadn't seen before. Not mm-hmm. on a regular basis. And that was something that Kevin O'Connell was trying to instill in him, that he could keep his mind calm and then move to help be able to progress down downfield. And that he did.
0: Hmm. Absolutely. Um, it, was, it was a very nice game from Kirk Cousins. But as we always say, this is a one-game sample size. You need a bigger sample size to really determine, is this fact or is this a mirage? We genuinely don't know. And it's okay to not know. But you have to keep that in the back of your mind that this is... You just, you don't know what this is at this point. Um, But we're going to move forward thinking that this is what the team is going to look like and adapt when it changes. Because it's going to change. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, That's and
1: you wanted actually, to yeah. improve, right, change and improve mm-hmm. as we get going. As chemistry uh, develops on that offensive line, as Kirk Cousins gets more comfortable, as the whole offense gets more comfortable with the play calling and the movement to throw off defenses, as the defense gets better and better at disguising what they're doing. I loved watching uh, – Horrible Harry today on his little presser um, where he was talking about how Ed Donatel and the defensive coach um, are moving them to better match up with whoever's there. If it's a little skinny guy, they're going to apply him with power. If it's a big, thick guy, they're going to attack it with movement, right? They're using the right thought processes to get better. And I absolutely love it this year. It's going to be good.
0: Absolutely. This is going to be a lot of fun. Now, let's take a brief look, Dave, at this upcoming game against the Philadelphia Eagles. And we're going to have a lot of discussion about the, the Philadelphia Eagles, Eagles including um, leading right up to the game. We are going to have the Real Forno show. And we are also going to have the pregame show which Dave and Darren run on two old bloggers Saturday afternoon. So, we're going to have a lot of good content, but let's give a brief synopsis of this Eagles team and what you need to be looking for moving forward. Dave, the Eagles are a good football team. Yes. And they beat they beat the Lions 38-35 yesterday
1: in Ford Field. And they had an issue with that, but yes.
0: They were up 35 to 14
1: and, and 38 to the Lions come back.
0: So they were up they were 31-14 and 38-21. And then the Lions scored two touchdowns and made it a game. They could not get a stop late at the end. The Eagles have a very diverse rushing attack. They have four guys score running the football yesterday. And they do it from a lot of different ways. They run most of it out of the shotgun, RPOs, sweeps, zones, counters, jet sweeps. Anything you can think of, they're running it. And they're running it with success. Jalen Hurts is an anomaly quarterback. He does not have the best arm. But what he has shown is he has grown every single year since his freshman year at Alabama. That's rare to see somebody grow like that every single season. If he can continue to grow, there's no reason why the Eagles shouldn't invest in him as their future quarterback. But he has everything right now. They've invested in the offensive line. They've invested at receiver. Devonta Smith last year, pick number 10. A.J. Brown with a first-round pick this year. They mean business. And they have two first-round picks next year and two seconds the year after. They can keep reloading this roster with quality players to help build this team. There's a lot of ifs, ands, or buts with the Philadelphia Eagles, but what they do have is talent. They have speed, they have skill, and they have a creative mind who's willing to utilize their skill sets to try and maximize their potential.
1: I agree.
0: What was the my
1: drinking tonight?
0: Is that Willet Pot still?
1: No. Oh god, that would be good though. I got I, a bottle. Um I'm drinking McConnell's Irish. Ooh. In honor of O'Connell, our head coach. Just so you know.
0: Odie approves of the big stretch on the chair. Ooh. He's, yeah, he, he approves of the good stuff. Um I well, might I have agree.
1: to if you got Weller's, to,
0: no, it's a Willet it? Well, even will I good. I have been searching for a bottle of a Weller twelve VNT collection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm never finding it.
1: It's ridiculous. Brian, uh, how was? Uh, <clears throat> pardon me. What did you think of those ninety yards by Dalvin and the additional yards by Alex yesterday? The what? The. Quiet 90 yards by Dalvin Cook and the additional yards by uh, Alexander Madison yesterday.
0: Yeah, we should have traded Madison. Look, I, th- that's that's half joke. Um, I think it would have been a smart move to do that. But they chose to ride him out for a year, which isn't a bad choice either. It's The Madison situation is weird. Um, I think it was good. They didn't make any major noise, but they also didn't do anything to put them on, on our radar. So I think it's it's twofold there, Dave. Uh-huh. I think it's objectively good that we didn't know that they were that they were there. They played a very solid football game, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Like they had some good runs. They didn't break a lot of stuff off. The Vikings also used a lot of play action, um, which um, the Let me pull it up. Um, They had 33 total attempts. Sorry, 33 total passes called. 13 of them for play action. 20 of them were not. So 40% of your passes were play action. Yeah, Cousins did some damage. 155 is 277 yards. Both touchdowns. 11.9 yards per attempt. No play action. Only 68.4% completions. 6.4 yards per attempt. So... Play action is still a big focus. Um, I, one reason I had, to, I had to have you repeat that question, Dave, is I just uh, got a tweet. Um, Mina Kimes just uh, was looking at Viking snap counts. Not only did they use more 11 personnel than they did last year, 67% versus 42 but they used the same three receivers every single time and then finished off, they really are the Rams North. I think that's an interesting one. because Using all three receivers the same. One tells me... Jalen Rager is not quite ready to get offensive snaps. Two, they really trust these guys. And K.J. Osborne was a guy I thought was going to have a bigger game. He was virtually a
1: non-factor. Kind of well, disappointing. I thought Adam Thielen would have a bigger game, too. But they were obviously focusing on Justin Jefferson yesterday. And nobody could guard Justin Jefferson yesterday. And if nobody can guard him, you keep throwing the ball to him. Period.
0: The only guy who could have... Um, stop Justin Jefferson was Kirby in dreamland where he's he would just suck Jefferson up and steal his powers and then just run with him uh that's that's really about it he was just absolutely on fire big thing Dave that we really need to look at going up against the Philadelphia Eagles is this offensive line against their defensive line now Raymond mentioned earlier in the chat that the Eagles did lose a starting defensive end to a torn ACL last week Derek Barnett who was the draft pick that the Eagles made with the Sam Bradford trade. That was the Vikings pick, Derek Barnett. So they're forever linked. But it's all about Fletcher Cox and Jordan Davis on the inside. They are nasty. They are violent. They are strong. And they will beat up our interior. That is going to be the matchup to watch throughout the course of the week.
1: Mateo talks, changing the subject, about Johnny Mutt being the tight end one. Irv Smith Jr. did not do extremely well yesterday at all. Johnny Mutt did a whole lot better, and as friend of the show, Judd Zolgad said, he saw that all through training camp, that Johnny Mutt's going to be a big part of that. Hopefully Irv Smith Jr. will step up. This actually Monday night will be a good game for that, to uh, solve that problem. Because I do think we talked about Rager being the number four guy and not used much. I don't think he's going to be. I think that number four guy is going to eventually be Irv Smith Jr.
0: I am not worried about the fact that Johnny Munt outsnapped Irv Smith Jr. because I think they're easing Irv Smith Jr. back, considering, one, he hasn't played a meaningful football game since December 30th or whatever, 2019, and two, sorry, 2020. And then he also missed all of training camp with a hand injury. He is still trying to get back into shape. Mm -hmm. Like It's going to take him some time, and that's okay. Uh, But Irv Smith Jr. only had 19 snaps. He was not um, overly productive or great in those snaps. But at the same time, he's easing back. I'm not going to overreact to that just because the Irv Smith Jr. case is a little weird. But they do obviously, like Johnny Munt, there's a reason why Kevin O'Connell brought him over from the Los Angeles Rams. He's going to get used.
1: Hey, Ben Ellison got used yesterday. I
0: think he's always gonna used, get used because they're of they're what his use skills the are. Tight ends.
1: Yeah. Um Purple Hayes talked about TJ Watt's injury. Sounds familiar. Yeah, I, if I remember correctly, he tore a peck. He's done for the season. And that's unfortunate um, for TJ Watt.
0: There was some news it might not be fully torn, and if it's not fully torn, he might only miss a month. They're looking to see if if it was partially torn. It's like it's like a so a pulled hamstring is technically a hamstring tear. There's different levels to it.
1: Same if with it's not knee. all the ligaments.
0: It's not all the way off the bone. You're you're okay. So we're waiting to see what this is and how this is going to progress moving forward. But there's optimism that he'll play in in a month.
1: He's going to end up like his brother, being injury prone the latter part of his career.
0: Well, like good that. for TJ getting the Steelers to shell out a four-year, hundred thirty or hundred twenty million dollar contract. That team never gives guarantees beyond the
1: first year. Uh, well, they paid TJ Watt, so that Speaking good yeah. of paying changing. You saw Quentin Nelson's contract.
0: Yep, and we on the show believe guards don't matter unless your name is Quentin Nelson or Zach Martin, and he deserves every penny. Uh, he could be your left tackle, and he showed that he can be a good left tackle. He is one of the rare players that he can come in and completely change your offensive line just by showing up. He did that in 2018 when he joined the Indianapolis Colts. I am not worried about the fact that they gave him so much money because he's just different. He is an anomaly, an exception to the rule, and Zach Martin is as well. That's fine.
1: Well, he's going to make hope, such. A difference I hope to that line. Ezra Cleveland and. And Ingram get to that level. Oh, that'd be great. In play. Not money, but in play. They won't.
0: But that's okay. They're going to get to a level where they're going to be very, very good at the game of football. And that's pretty great. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, Mary, and talking about other parts of the league, Dax out for eight weeks. He uh, broke a bone in his throwing thumb. And uh, did some damage. They've got to do surgery. He'll be out for eight weeks. Also on Dallas, they lost, uh, uh, what's his name? Used to be on the Vikings. Play safety. Um, big nickel. Javon Curse. Yep. And they lost another guy who was on crutches yesterday as well.
0: Connor and McGovern, high, high ankle sprain.
1: High ankle sprain. Bad one. So that puts Philly in the driver's seat for the NFC East, and that's what makes Monday's game against the Vikings a really even bigger deal, because if we could knock them down a peg, that makes our chances in the NFC all the better, because not only do I think the Vikings should make the playoffs, I think they should win the division, and I want them competing for home field advantage throughout. You do that by having other NFC teams lose, the Rams, right, Um, like the Cowboys, Mm -hmm. uh, other contenders, obviously the Packers, which we demolished, call it air dominance, and uh, we want that to continue next week is just check mark, let's do that with the Eagles. And Ryan, I want to thank you for joining us tonight. Vikings uncensored, by the way, is Ryan's show. He does an outstanding job, and if you are uh, want some more good Viking content, content, check him out.
0: Bingo, bango, bongo, Dave. What do we have this week? I believe we have a full lineup of shows. Am I right? Nah. Ah, oh, man, I was hoping I'd be right this time.
1: Nope. Ah. Uh, Talking with Flip yesterday, he's given up all his hot takes. Unless I can convince Eric to find a substitute, there will be no Vikings hot takes tomorrow night. And believe me, I'm beating them over the head with a bat to try to get them to have a show. Wednesday, however, we do have Vikings happy hour. Hopefully, Matt can find a good guest. If not, it's going to be the regular gang, and they're going to be talking and very happy over this yesterday's victory and looking forward to Monday's game. Saturday, we have Darren and myself as two old bloggers. We we are Climbing the Pockets' official pregame show. Throughout the season, we will break down things as we saw it and as it looks towards the Monday night game will have better analysis and graphics to present because the longer we get in over these first four to six weeks, the better numbers we get. We will go through that, and then Monday night, next Monday night, before the game at six o'clock, we have Tyler Fortis in the Real Fordo. If you've ever heard of that show, it's fantastic. We will go live before the game. And obviously, in the last two minutes of the game, we go live with the final score.
0: Yes, the final score is going to be a good time, Dave.
1: It was yesterday. It was wonderful. Tanishka joined me and Flip, and we had a blast.
0: I'm hoping I can get uh, my, some of my post-game stuff wrapped up pretty quick so I can join one of these days. But with all, all my Vikings Wire stuff, it's, it is a lot, let me tell you. Especially with this little guy preventing me from w- doing as much work as I actually
1: want. But you have another writer on Vikings Wire, I saw. Not yet. Oh, um, I
0: thought you did. No, um, I'm working on it. Um, but we'll, we'll get there. We will get there, Dave. It's going to be a good time. Odie has had a blast. He is starting to wake up a little bit. He's like, oh, hi, Dad. And we're going to go downstairs, and we're going to let him run around like a little crazy boy. And Dave, I've had a good time, as always, with you. And I'm hopefully going to be watching some uh, film here later tonight. And I'm going to, we're going to break down Kirk Cousins every single time. Week and we are going to look at his checkdowns and his his decision making, and we're going to decide was he cowardly or was he smart, and And we're going to really determine. We're going to determine how much of a checkdown artist he is week in and week out because there is a narrative about him that he just loves to check down and he's a coward. Some of that is true, some of that is hyperbole.
1: We're going to break it down. Calculated. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. There, there's a lot of different elements that factor into it. And we are, we're we're going to break it down on the Vikings wire. And we're going to continue to talk about it. How cowardly is Kirk Cousins? And it's going to be a fun ride. Until then, thank you to our great sponsors of Lake Monster Brewing. If you have not been to the brewery, I recommend. They have one of the coolest beers, which I believe is coming back out, a hot apple cider ale. They have it in a cooler sitting on top of the bar, and it is legit kept hot. It is one of the more unique beer experiences you will ever have. Perfect for upcoming fall weather. From Dave, from my little guy, Odie, and myself, Forno. Ah. Slow Viking. Let's make it 2 0.
1: I just got a question for my yeah. eldest daughter. How old is Tyler's little one? How old is Odie? He, he hits 11 weeks tomorrow. Woohoo. I hey. Know. You saw I posted up, like, subscribe, and ring the bell. Folks, we are 13 subscriptions away from 2,000 subscribers. We would like to hit that number. We'd like to hit 4,000 by the end of the season. That's our season goal. So if you know people that are fans, have them log in, like, subscribe, and ring the bell. We really appreciate it. It helps us bring this product to you and us to communicate with you and live in this community. We absolutely love it. What do we say? Skull Vikings! Skull Vikings! (laughs) Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, The Daily Norseman, where the best Vikings content can be found and... To Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody.